if you would, turn to Philippians chapter number four tonight. Philippians chapter number four, if you're able to, let's stand tonight out of respect for the word of God. Just one verse. Don't get excited when I say one verse. People say, wow, it's going to be a 10 minute message. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I'm so excited about that ball game because they said if we had more than 10 people, that uh, somebody from our group could sing the national anthem. And so I volunteered Brother Guy to sing the national anthem at the game. And, uh, you know, I f fitting for a Mets fan to sing the national anthem. So it's going to be well worth it to, to go. And, uh, <laughs> so I've had a lot of people ask, Pastor, what are you growing on your face? Now you know. Operation Arctic is right around the corner. And uh, that's my excuse now, and once VBS is over, I'll find another one. And uh, the truth is, I'm just growing this because so many Baptists never smile. And I walk up to people and they smile because I look so ridiculous. And so I just, it's just the way that I was out at that preacher's meeting, and I'm telling you, some of, the, some of these Baptist preachers, they never smile, no holy grunts, nothing. I walked up to a lot of those guys and they looked at me, Brother Gilbert called me a walrus. I said, thank you, thank you, I appreciate that. And uh, he's a goat, I'm a walrus. And so we've, we've, got, we've got this animal thing down pat, you know. And uh, we're just having a good time in the Lord. <laughs> if you can't enjoy the Christian life, listen, what are you going to do when you get to heaven someday, right? And so I hope you've had a good day. Just one verse tonight in uh, chapter 4, and we're, we're rounding the bend. It's hard to believe. Uh, the book of Philippians, I believe this is about... 21 messages so far out of this small four chapters and I've enjoyed studying and I hope that God's given you many things out of this study about having joy in the journey and uh, it, listen if Paul can find joy in prison you can find joy anywhere you're at and that's that's what it's all about having joy in the Christian life and uh, folks look you might as well smile because till you start smiling I'm not gonna let you sit down all right and so uh, chapter 4, verse number 1, let's read this verse together, all right? Here we go, Philippians 4, 1. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. You know, sometimes we're, we're a little funny about using terms of affection. And I have to believe that the Apostle Paul was a man's man, but when he got saved, I think he got mushy. And he just loved Christians. And there's nothing wrong with loving the brothers and sisters in Christ. Now again, we have to be careful how we do it in this day and hour. But nonetheless, I think that we should show love towards one another. And the message that God put on my heart tonight from this one verse is, is there evidence of God's love in your life? There certainly was in Paul's. And there needs to be in your life and mine. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening. I pray that you be with our study. Thank you for the word of God. Most of all, thankful for your love for us. For God so loved the world. That says it all. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. The text tonight, if, as you get to chapter 4, and remember that when God gave his word, that it wasn't put together quite like 
you and I have it in our Bibles today. For instance, the way it is separated by books, by chapter, and by verse. You say, Pastor, how did they know when they sat down to, to bring about the divisions? By the way, aren't you glad it makes it a lot easier to find location in the Word of God that we do have chapters and verses when God gave his word, he gave it in what we call thought patterns. Uh, God gave his word, and as he did, what they did was they followed the thought patterns of God, and they also followed the punctuations of as God gave his word, and that's how we arrived at this final chapter. And it's interesting, when you get to this chapter, it's really connected to the previous chapter. We know that because the very first word in chapter 4, verse number 1, is the word therefore. Now, anytime you see the word therefore, it's there for a reason, okay? And so as we see this word, it refers back to what Paul said, which is what we studied last time that we were together studying the book of Philippians, that our focus, your focus and mine, should not be on this earth. Our focus should be on heaven. Because that is where our eternal destination is if we know Christ as our Savior. That's our citizenship. And so when we get to chapter 4, before Paul signs off on this letter, this epistle to believers in Christ, those in Philippi were the target audience, Paul shares some things that I, I myself like to relate to, very practical principles. Now, again, I, I, I know a lot of people that amaze me in life. Some of you are the same way, very smart, very intelligent people. And uh, I, I'll tell you, and you probably already figured this out, your pastor's not the sharpest tack in the drawer. Uh, I'm not the smartest of people, and, and, uh, and, and there are times where I struggle understanding something. I have to read it and study it and chew on it to really understand it. What I have been most of my life is just a practical person. Anybody else kind of like that? Just a practical type of a person. I'd like, look, what good is knowledge if we don't know what to do with it, how to apply it to our lives? Now, remember what they said to Paul in his life? They thought that too much learning hath made him mad. Uh, and I'm not against education. I think education is good, but I think it has its place in our lives we need to understand the practicality. Think about this. He's covered three chapters in the book of Philippians, and those things that he has covered, what he's about to do in chapter 4 is he's about to give us the practical side of it. All right, I've given you this. Now what do you do with it? By the way, this isn't the first time we've seen, and we understand all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, but we see the same exact thing when you study the book of Romans, because in the book of Romans, which I think is in the New Testament of our Bible, I think the book of Romans is the most rich doctrinal book in the entire New Testament of the Bible. And chapters 1 and 8 cover, uh, really, I believe, touch on all the major doctrines of the Word of God. Chapters 9, 10, and 11 are kind of an interesting parenthesis that God has given to us in that very same book that cover God's dealings with the nation of Israel. It's a tremendous study, Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. 
But when you get to Romans chapter 12, from chapter 12 to chapter 16, the end of the book, what you find is the practical side of everything that Paul has covered that God gave to Paul in the first beginning chapters of the book of Romans. So much the same way tonight when you get to the book of Philippians, Paul wants to share or God wants to give us some practical principles. And so beginning here in verse number one, Paul shares, and I love how God allows this to happen. Think about this, some personal words to individuals. You know, I, I just sat in my office today and I, I wrote some letters to some people that weren't here today. Now, again, they were personal words, how much I love them, I'm praying for them. A lot of times as a pastor, when somebody's not here, there's various reasons. I never think negative things, I just miss people when they're not here. Brother Osvaldo, I wrote you a letter. You'll get it, all right? So just, just understand. Now look, I know when Brother Osvaldo's not here, there's a reason. Uh, and understand that Paul shares some personal words. He, he gives some personal admonishments to those in Philippi. He gives some practical applications as they were doing the work of God there at Philippi. And as we see in Paul's words here, the word of God, we can see evidence of God's love. I mean, look at the verse again. My dearly beloved, my dearly beloved, he says that he longed for them. He calls them his joy and his crown. And then he says, Stand fast in the Lord. And again, my dearly beloved. As if it wasn't enough to say it one time, in one verse, he says it two times. These people meant something to the Apostle Paul, and you can see the evidence of it there. J.C. Watts once said, Compassion can't be measured in dollars and cents. It does come with a price tag, but that price tag isn't the amount of money spent. The price tag is love. The price tag is love. And I can tell you, listen, we, we enjoyed being away, seeing my mom, my dad, my, my wife's father. We enjoyed time with, I think I enjoyed time with my sisters. We had a good time. But I love you guys. I missed being here. I don't like to be gone, and I, as best as I can as your pastor, God didn't send me here so that I can be gone all the time, and I can clearly identify what Paul was saying here, how much he loved these people. There was evidence coming from Paul's pen, and notice, first of all, we see the apostles' affection, and it much reminds us of the affection of one of the, really, in my opinion, the greatest spiritual leader that we see as Jesus said these words in John 10, look at it. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. You see, anyone that knows anything about uh, sheep herding and about shepherding understands the importance, and the word that is used there is the word hireling. Now, certainly this church is 
very gracious and takes care of us and the staff here and and we don't take that for granted as a matter of fact oftentimes I feel very guilty because I don't get the opportunity to say thank you and I really do from the bottom of my heart I am thankful for the care and the concern that this church has for us as the pastor and the staff of this church but I'm gonna tell you something God sent me here to pastor this church I am NOT a hireling I, I am NOT someone that is being paid that at the first sign of some bad thing going on that I'm gonna pack my bags and leave I'm here because God sent me and I truly care about you much in the same way that Paul cared notice how he cared he had a godly devotion uh, he was in a sense to those in Philippia uh, Philippi Paul was in a sense their spiritual big brother now if you've ever led somebody to Christ you understand what I'm talking about God uses someone instrumentally to lead that person to Jesus Christ the Bible doesn't really uh, share a whole lot but I think that there had to be a special place in Peter's heart for Andrew now certainly he was his brother but brother Tim we all know how brothers get along sometimes right but can I tell you that a brother that cares enough about his brother to bring him to Jesus and to see Peter's life transformed by the love of God I believe that there was something in Peter's heart about Andrew I don't think he ever forgot much like I've never forgot how God used my wife to bring me to the Savior maybe you know the person that God used instrumentally in your life and Paul was a man that that had this affection he had a godly devotion why because many of these people at Philippi were people that Paul personally had led to Christ now think about that here's these people that every time Paul came together with him every time they met every time they opened up the Word of God every time he preached the Word of God every time they had a fellowship one with another Paul was looking around going that's spiritual fruit I had an opportunity to see him saved oh what a blessed time that was when I went to their house and shared the gospel with them and saw them trust Christ folks I'm gonna tell you that's an exciting thing to see people saved and Paul had a devotion and look when he says these words my brethren you know what he's really saying he's saying I love these people and I have a special bond with them why because God used him to them to help bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ and he uses the phrase not only my brethren but he says dearly beloved twice those words kind of carry this idea of those that are esteemed they're dear to him they're favorite people to him they are someone worthy of love Paul truly loved these believers look what the Bible says in 1st Corinthians as he wrote to another group of young believers in the Lord the Bible says as he wrote to the church in Corinth he wrote these words God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his son Jesus Christ our Lord see the reason that Paul had such an affection for them was because 
He was devoted to the cause of Christ. And these were people that Paul had personally seen saved, that God had allowed him to share the gospel. And so he had a godly devotion. But notice, secondly, he had a godly desire. See, once he saw people saved, Paul wanted to see them take steps in their lives. But remember, it was a little difficult for Paul. Why? Because Paul wasn't like you and I that could just get in his car or just walk across town. Paul was under house arrest. He was at Rome under house arrest, but the Bible says he longed to see them. You know, that, that's the sign of the Lord working in a person's heart, is he wanted to spend time with them. He longed to have fellowship with them. Back in Philippians 1 and verse 8, we, we looked a long time ago at this verse. He says, God is my record how greatly I longed after you all. And notice these words, in the bowels of Jesus Christ. In other words, in the innermost part of where his, his emotions were. He said, look, this isn't just lip service. I'm not just saying this. I really do care. And folks, this is what we, we need to see in our lives is, is that there, there needs to be a godly affection. There needs to be uh, evidence of God's love in our lives. And if there is evidence, it'll come from a godly devotion and a godly desire. Uh, the song that we sing sometimes, I love the song, Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. You see, that's what we need is the kind of love that God so loved us with. And that's the love that God had, had worked on Paul and in his heart, he longed to fellowship with them. And not only did he long to fellowship with them, but he also longed for them to have fruit in their lives. Look in chapter 4 and verse 17. He says, not because I desire a gift. Paul says, look, I didn't come here so that you shower me with something. But watch what he says. But I desire fruit that may abound to whose account? Paul's account? No, it says to your account. Look, watch this. Paul says, I had the joy of seeing you trust Christ as your Savior. And I can't think of anything better than to see you then leading other people to Christ. We had an opportunity uh, yesterday as we went out, Brother Mike and I, and we, we, were, we got out there and Brother Chris gave us a map and he sent us out there and, and where we went, it was not single family homes, it was actually three homes to a unit. And we were knocking doors and we got through, uh, I think it was our second or third building. And uh, as we got through that second or third building, I came out and was going to turn to go down to go to the next building. And I turned to my right and there was a sign about this wide and about this tall. And it, it said, no soliciting at any time. Big old letters. And I looked at that sign and I just turned left and went down to the next house. Now, I normally don't do that. You know, if, if it says no soliciting, I don't want to aggravate people, but we were already there. I had already gone through probably three or four buildings, and it was evident to me that God was giving us opportunity to talk to people that normally people don't go in there. And I thought, well, we'll just stay until 
Brother Mike aggravates somebody and they kick us out, you know. And uh, we just kind of stayed in there under the banner of uh, the Lord just kind of kept us protected and hidden, you know, until uh, he opened up the heavens and the rains came down. But boy, we had a great time and we had an opportunity to sow some seed. And this is what we need in our lives is God has desired for us, just like Paul did for those in Philippi, that we would have fruit. I, I don't know if you've ever had a time in your life that you have led somebody to the Lord. But Lord, I'm going to tell you something. I've seen all four of my children come into this world. What a wonderful day it was when my children were born. I just can't, I, I, you know, if, you, if you've never been there, you've never had that opportunity. What a joy it is to see a life begin in this world. But there's something about a person passing from death unto life. Their eternal destination is changed. And, and heaven now is their home. And the, the word fruit here, interesting word, it denotes results. In other words, it's almost like, not Paul, but God says, look, I've saved you. You're one of my children and I've left you here so that you would have fruit, that you would have results, godly results in your life. And he's talking here about the, the principle of that we reap or we gather the fruit of that which we plant. You know, Brother Mike and I and other people, we've talked about oftentimes we go out and we sow the seeds. We have no idea what's going to happen with those seeds that we've sown. The Bible identifies the seed is the Word of God. Folks, that's our job is to give out the Word of God. It's God's job to give the increase. And so we see this, a great example of this and I, you've probably heard this before, is years ago there was a Sunday school teacher way back in 1858. His name was Mr. Kimball. He was a, a, a man that taught Sunday school, and while he was in Sunday school, he led a Boston shoe clerk to Christ. The clerk that he led to Christ, his name was Dwight L. Moody. Dwight L. Moody became an evangelist, and in England in 1879, he awakened the evangelistic zeal in the heart of a man by the name of Frederick B. Meyer, who was the pastor of a small church at the time. F.B. Meyer began preaching, and he had an opportunity to go to an American college campus. And while he was there, he led to Christ a student named J. Wilbur Chapman. Chapman then engaged in a work at the YMCA, and he challenged a former baseball player named Billy Sunday to do evangelistic work. And folks, I could extend that list even further, but listen, here's the key to it. It all began with a godly desire of a Sunday school teacher. Kind of changed the idea, Zach, about your Sunday school class, doesn't it? You have no idea who's sitting in that class. You have no idea who you're teaching sometimes. You know why? Because God can take any life and do something with it. And I think that this is what Paul had. That's why he had such an affection for them was because he was devoted to these people because they were fruit that God had allowed him to lead them to the Savior and he had a desire for their lives that not only would they be saved, but that they themselves would have some spiritual fruit. The same is true for every one of us. Remember, 
He says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. Without me, ye can do nothing. You know what needs to be on those branches of your life? Spiritual fruit. Paul had an affection for these people, but then notice, I not only see his affection, but I see, secondly, the apostles' actuation. The apostles' actuation. Now, in other words, what was it that motivated Paul? Uh, you know, I think that's a good question for all of us. What motivates you, you know? Uh, I think sometimes in our lives, we go through the, the, the same old grind day in and day out. Listen, folks, I'm going to tell you something. Long before I was in the ministry, I, I didn't have to, I, I didn't need 16 cups of coffee in the morning. I enjoyed the Christian life. I enjoyed getting up. The love of Christ constrained me. And we need to understand that something in life is going to motivate you and I. We are all motivated by something. It's like the story that I heard. There was a teenager who lost a contact lens while he was playing basketball in his driveway. And after a long, fruitless search, this teenager told his mother that the lens was nowhere to be found. Undaunted, the mother went outside, and in a few minutes, she returned with the contact lens in her hand. The boy said to his mom, I really looked hard for that, mom. And he said, how did you manage to find it? And she said to her teenage boy, we weren't looking for the same thing. She said, you were looking for a small piece of plastic. I was looking for $150. See, it's all about motivation. And, and Paul was a man that was motivated. Paul was a man that had an affection, but notice that affection brought about, first of all, the cheer of ministry. It was the joy of the ministry that actually encouraged him, that motivated him. See, the point of ministry, now listen to me, I'm not talking just about Pastor Dane Keeley and Pastor Kenny Godby and Pastor Chris uh, Ortiz. I'm talking about every born-again believer. The point of ministry is seeing people saved. That's the point of ministry. That's why we're here. Folks, can you imagine? Listen, if five years from now, from today for five years, not one person is saved in this church. You understand, that means there's no new births. That means it's the same old crowd. There's nothing new happening. And what God says is, listen, I want you to be about my business. And Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And we need to understand the, what it motivated Paul was the joy of seeing people saved. And there, there is great joy that you can't find in anything else than when you see people saved. Somebody said that uh, one of uh, Dr. W.A. Criswell's church members asked him one time, and they said to him, Dr. Criswell, will we know each other when we get to heaven? And Dr. Criswell looked at the member and he replied, we won't really know each other until we get to heaven. I mean, heaven's going to be a wonderful place. But the reality is, is we've got to understand the joy of seeing people saved. What ought to motivate you and motivate me is 
that God's given us an opportunity to share the truth. And the Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. There are people out there tomorrow that are waiting to hear the truth from you and I. 2 Corinthians 1.14, as also ye have acknowledged us in part that we are your rejoicing even as ye also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul says, look, you might be glad that we're here. You might be glad that I'm in your life, but folks, you have no idea how much joy you bring me to know that you who were once lost in your sins are now on your way to heaven someday as a result of the joy that Paul had in ministry. See, his actuation, what motivated him was the joy that he got out of seeing people saved. But then notice, he not only says, you are my joy, but he says, you are my crown. See, the crown of ministry that motivated Paul, the word crown is the word Stephanus. Uh, this, this is a word, especially in the early days, you used to see this even during the Olympics, a crown was something that was a wreath uh, or garland that was given as a prize to an athlete that was victorious, that was triumphant in their race or whatever it was, that whatever competition they competed in. Nowadays, it's got to be some big medal around their neck, gold, silver, or bronze. But back then, they would give them the Stephanus. They would give them the crown. Can I tell you that when Paul looked at these people in Philippi, that were saved by the grace of God, that God allowed him to show them the truth, and now they were saved. When Paul looked at them, he saw them as the great reward of faithfully preaching the gospel to them. Paul didn't see them as some trophy on their head or some trophy around his neck. Paul saw them as they were. They were the great reward. Think about this. You know why people don't get saved? Because we don't tell them about the Lord Jesus. We don't share the gospel with them. Someone has to take the truth to them. Someone has to share the gospel with them. My family, as I had opportunity to be with them, I've got a nephew that he's been struggling for most of his life. He's just made some bad choices. And I've been looking for opportunities, but there's been very few because the last few times, which hasn't been many in the last probably 10 years that I've seen him, every time that I've been around him, he's been completely drunk. I mean, he's 30, probably 33 years of age now, but he's been this way ever since he was probably in his late teens. And I've been wanting to talk to him. I've been wanting to just kind of put my arm around him and tell him that I love him, that he doesn't have to give his life to what he's been indulging in. He doesn't, you know, there's so much disaster and so many things that have been left in the wake of his life, and I've been wanting to talk to him, and I've looked for opportunities, and when we were, when we were there, I, I saw the opportunity, and I kind of watched how he was acting, and I, I, I waited for that moment. I went over to him, and I I put my arm around him and I said, I said, Chris, you know that I love you. And if that would have been the only thing that I said to him, it would have been enough. 
he had been he'd been in a situation where he you know he he felt like because of what he was involved in that that everybody was against him that he was beat down that no one cared about him and for the first time and by the way I'm not the only one that cares he's got a mom that loves him and that cares deeply about him he's got a dad that loves him and that that really would want to would want nothing more than to see him turn his life around and I began to talk to him and I said listen I'd like to help you I'd like to spend some time with you and I barely got those words out and he says uncle uncle Dane can I give you my phone number I said absolutely and you pray his name's Chris that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach out to him. I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to witness to him. My sisters uh, are not saved people. And, and my, my sister, who loves her son dearly, here's what she said to me. Now, Dane, I know you mean well. And I know that you have your own religion. But I don't think any of that's going to help Chris. And my heart just kind of sank because I and you know the only thing that's going to change that boy is the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul, when Paul met with these people, listen, folks, you go out into the community and you knock on doors. There are not model Christian citizens sitting at home just waiting for you to come by so that they can come and be a part of our church. You're going to find people from every walk of life, just like my nephew, that have been involved in everything under the sun. And it's going to take someone that cares enough about them to go to their house, to talk to them about the Lord Jesus Christ, to invite them to come, to invest in their lives, and it's something that's going to probably take the rest of their lives. There is no quickie. I'm glad somebody didn't just say, hey, listen, uh, we showed you the way. The rest of it's up to you. You wouldn't do that with a baby, would you? You see a baby born in this world? They, they don't just leave them in the hospital, give them one bottle and say, there you go. No, those babies have to be changed. They have to be birthed. They have to... They have to be fed. They have to on and on and on. The same is true for any person that comes to know Christ. And I'm praying that God will use me the same way God used Paul for all those people in Philippi. See, we don't know a lot of their backgrounds. We don't know what the people in Philippi were into. But I can tell you this. They were probably just like the rest of us. Rascals. Dirty, rotten wicked sinners and Paul took the truth of the gospel and he loved them by the way he loved them the exact same way that the Lord Jesus loved him on the road to Damascus a man who was a murderer of Christians remember what the Lord said to him it is hard for thee to kick against the prick and I, I'm thinking about Paul and, and, and how he calls his people his crown. And I love the fact that Paul realized, and listen, we're living in a day where people want to down, downgrade the preaching. Listen, we don't want the preaching. Just, 
Just tickle our ears. Just tell us something that'll make us feel good about ourselves. The last time I checked, the Word of God says it's by the foolishness of preaching. That God uses the preached Word. And Paul, when he stood, he thundered the Word of God. He faithfully preached the gospel. I love what somebody said. I don't know who to give credit to, but it says this. Preaching is a radical encounter between the living word and the bearer of the spoken word translated into meaning charged with eternal destiny borne by those who are willing to risk the scandal of the faith as the message is transmitted and communicated to those who have been brutalized by life's uncertainties it is the communication of divine truth that's what preaching is and paul preached the word in Philippi, and people were saved as a result. And so he calls these people, my joy and my crown. You see, Paul loved these people, and he was motivated by the joy of the ministry of seeing people saved and, and, and seeing these people as a result of the reward of faithfully preaching the word of God. But in this one verse, we not only see how Paul is he loves these people and how Paul is motivated by the work of God. But then notice number three, the apostles' admonition. Paul gives us some advice. He gives us some caution here, even reminding those in Philippi. Notice what he admonishes them with. He tells them to stand with consistency for the Lord. Consistency. I look around our church and I love our church and I love young and old alike. And listen, I, I'll tell you, nothing against you youngsters, but I, when I look around and I see some of our folks, as I, I'll, I'll politely put it tonight, up in years. And, and I see you being consistent for the Lord. You'll never know what that means to someone like me and many others in our church to see you being consistent for the Lord. He uses the word stand fast. Here's what it means. It means to stand firm. It means to uh, persevere, to persist, to keep one's standing. Paul was commanding them to continue. And he's saying to them, look, whatever you do, don't stop. Don't quit. I read an illustration and I thought it, it identified this matter of being consistent. The New England Patriots had a defensive end. His name was Willie McGinnis. He was recalled a lesson when he was a child he learned from his dad and I learned many lessons from my father but I didn't have a dad like Willie McGinnis because he, he remembered one day when his dad who was pretty fit wanted to go out as he often did and go jogging and he so he insisted that he would go with his dad this time and his dad said okay Willie if you want to go but if you're going to go he says you have to hold the leashes to our two Doberman pincher dogs. And so Willie said, that's fine, I'll do that. And so he grabbed the leashes of those two Dobermans during the run, and his father, being in such good shape, Willie had a hard time keeping up with his dad. He started to lag behind, he was struggling, and pretty soon he actually fell, and those two Dobermans began to drag Willie down the street. These dogs are dragging him, and, 
And he said this, he said, I knew that if I didn't get up, that they would just keep dragging me or I'd find myself in trouble. So he said, I, that day, he says, I, I learned something. He says, my dad taught me to do more than I thought I could. My dad taught me that losing is like falling down and letting the dogs drag you. He says, you have to get up. You have to keep going no matter what. And that's what Paul is telling those in Philippi. And God's telling us tonight, look, whatever it is in your life, don't give up. Don't quit. Paul was admonishing them, and God's word admonishes us to stand fast, even against Satan. The devil is not your friend, folks. He is your adversary. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians 6, look at it. Finally, my brethren, be strong. We saw that this morning in the Lord, in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole. God says, I've given you everything that you need. And he says, I want you to take that armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. God says, look, I want you to understand that I want you to stand against the devil. And we need to see this morning that there needs to be a consistency. And if you try to live a consistent Christian life, the devil will fight you every step of the way. You see, we need to stand against the devil. We also, Paul admonishes that we need to stand fast in our service for God. 1 Corinthians 15, look at the Bible, says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Look, folks, we have to stand fast against Satan. We have to stand fast in our service for the Lord. Paul also admonishes that we need to stand fast in our suffering. Many in our church have been battling things. I saw Brother Ken this morning walking in the door with a cane under each hand. Every step excruciating. The suffering that he's endured. Brother Ken calls me sometimes or I call him or we go by and see him and how many of you have been to his house? And a lot of times I'll ask him, Brother Ken, how are you doing? How's things going? Now, I know what he's going to say for the most part when I ask him, but I really do care. I'm not just trying to make small talk. Brother Ken will begin to tell me. He'll get about five words out. He does this all the time. Pastor, I, I don't mean to complain. He always says that. I'm not here to gripe about what I'm going through. He says, I, I don't want you to feel sorry for me. I don't understand why he's going through what he's going through. I don't understand why God would allow him to go through what he's going through. That's not my business. That's the Lord's business. But I know this, that God is telling Brother Ken and he's telling you and I tonight that we need to stand fast even in times of suffering. Peter wrote these words. Look at the word, beloved. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial 
which is to try you? As though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice. Look at what he says. Rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of whose sufferings? Christ. There's nothing, listen, there's nothing that any of us will ever go through in life that compares to what Jesus went through for you and me. Nothing. He says we are partakers. We've come into Christ's sufferings that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad with exceeding joy. Look, Paul's just encouraging us, admonishing us. Stand fast. Be consistent. Look, when the devil fights, be consistent. When you're serving God, be consistent. When, when, when times of suffering come in your life, don't let down, don't quit, be consistent. And look, we need to understand this. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said about consistency in life, a man's life is always more forcible than his speech. When men take stock of him, they reckon his deeds as dollars and his words as pennies. If his life and his doctrine, what he believes, if his life and his doctrine disagree, the mass of onlookers accept his practice and they reject his preaching. Folks, you know what you and I need to be tonight? Consistent. Walking consistently. Every day of our lives just being consistent. And Paul says, look, be consistent. Stand with consistency in the Lord. And then notice, secondly, stand with confidence in the Lord. Again, I refer back to what I said this morning about Charlie Brown. And Charlie Brown one day told Lucy, he said, I worry about tomorrow. When tomorrow becomes today, I start worrying about tomorrow again. And Lucy said to him, what you need, Charlie Brown, is confidence. Can I tell you, we don't need confidence in self. We need confidence in the Lord. You know, look, folks, it's, it's real easy for me when I go out and I try to share the truth with someone else, you know why? Because I have all confidence in this book right here. We went, while we were on, uh, out there in the Midwest, we went to church on Sunday because that's what Christians do. And uh, we went to church and it's always a kind of a quagmire out there where, where I grew up because I, my home church has changed some and I always kind of feel out of pocket whenever I go. But the last, I don't know how many times I've been there, I haven't been there on a Sunday but we knew we were going to be there on a Sunday and so we were kind of making uh, our, our, our trek between uh, my dad and, and her dad and seeing my mom and we were kind of like a bouncy ball we were just trying to uh, trying to cover all of our bases while we were there and I, I had we had spent some time with my folks and I said to my wife I said uh, listen tomorrow's Sunday and uh, my mom and dad they, they were my moms in the home they go to mass I don't go to mass and, and I go to worship the Lord. And uh, some of you that have been down that road, you know what I'm talking about. I wanted to go to some place where I was going to get edified, where I was going to hear the truth, and I wasn't going to hear about the Pope. And, and so uh, we, we, we talked about it, and I said to my wife, I said, why don't we go to ch church with my, my father-in-law, and, and he goes where my, my wife's sister goes. And, and uh, we went to that church that they attend, and we walked in, and I was telling Brother Kenny today, I said, 
we, uh, we got in there, and their music was a little bit different. And I, I kind of got past the music. I just, I just was trying to focus on the Lord. We got past that music. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I, f- I, felt like, I felt like that I was in a rock concert. I really did. It, it, the music quenched my spirit. I was struggling. The Lord knew I was struggling. The pastor got up, again, it's the suit and the tie, they don't make the man of God, but he got up, it was a very casual atmosphere. I was glad when he opened his Bible and he started to preach, he did a phenomenal job, good message on Psalm 3. I followed his message. What was very interesting was the handout for the message. There were verses for each one of his points, he, he must have been a good Baptist because he had three points. And uh, all, of his, all of his verses, like you have verses on, on your paper tonight, all of his verses at the end of each verse, it said the reference, and then it said the Bible version. The first one said the reference, and then it said NKJV. The second verse said the reference and said NLT. The third verse had the reference and had the NIV. And I could go on. And I was, I, I was sitting there. Now, I was just focusing. I had my, I had my Bible. I had the, the Word of God. So I was, looking at, I was looking at the verses in my Bible. But during his message, he said, my version says. Now, our church here, we've always been a King James Version church. We don't apologize. It's, it's on, in our church statement. It's in our Constitution bylaws. I personally believe that the King James Version is God's word for the English-speaking people. Uh, and, and you may disagree with that. I'm not here to pick a fight with somebody. But if you've noticed, I've never got up and said, if you don't have a King James Bible, you don't have the word of God. Because I believe that every Bible contains some truth. I hope you understand that statement. I'm not here to, to fight somebody over a Bible version. But you do understand that when you're in a church and you've got multiple versions, what do you believe? I mean, do you, you know, it's hard to pick and choose. Paul's admonishing those in Philippi. He's saying, look, you you have to understand that there has to be a confidence. How can someone be confident when they don't know which version to use? Are you guys with me tonight? I'm not asking you to agree with me. You know, if I was going to be a salesman, anybody in here ever had a sales job? A couple of you have. Brother John, you have to believe in your product or you can't sell it, right? You have to have a confidence in what you're selling. Folks, I'm going to tell you, look, there's a lot of faults in this old boy, but there's not one fault in this book. I don't have a problem getting up here on Sundays and Wednesdays and saying anything about this where where it's going to get sticky, where there might be a problem, is when I deviate away from this into what Dane thinks. That's where the problem lies. People don't need my opinion. They need the Word of God. Thus saith the Lord. See, Paul had a confidence in the Lord. And understand tonight, that's what he was saying is, you and I, we look what it says here in Philippians 4 and verse 13, and I know you know the verse. He says, I can do all things through Christ. I don't need what this church and what this 
group of people and what this, these people might say or what they think. Look, we need confidence in, in the Lord, in His strength. The, the verse this morning, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I need God's power. By the way, you do too. God's power comes through the truth of the Word of God. We need to have confidence in the Lord. We need to have confidence in the Word of God. You know why? Because God's Word is trustworthy. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword to the piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow. It's a discerner. The Word of God is a discerner. You can't fool the Word of God. It'll cut right through you of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Look, when you get to chapter 4 in the book of Philippians, Paul is saying here, look, you, you've got to understand how much I love these people, and I love them so much that I want to give them something that's going to help them and not something that's going to hurt them. People need the truth this, this evening. They need the truth in their lives, and we see that Paul loves them, and he has an affection for them, and he begins to counsel them here, giving them practical things. And this chapter starts by Paul revealing that his motivation was these people, they were his joy, they were his crown. Why? Because their lives have been changed by the Word of God, and we see that it reveals not only his motivation, but his challenge that they needed to keep standing in the power and the strength of the Lord and how much he loved them. Hey, look, he's talking here about the love of God, and it's that love that our church still needs today. We need to show people how much we love them. You can't fool people. I've seen people come into our church, and do you know why they come back? Because somebody showed them the love of God. People say it to me often when they come, your church is different than other churches. And they mean it in a good way. You see, the Bible says in John 15 and verse 12, Jesus said, this is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Can you love people the way Jesus loved you? It's not easy because we're humans, but that's the command of God. First John, same writer, First John 4, 21, this commandment have we from him that he who loveth God, he who loveth God, do you love God tonight? Now look at the rest of the verse, love his brother also. If you say you love God tonight, that means you need to love the brethren. Remember what Paul says, my dearly beloved, my dearly beloved. See, there was evidence of God's love in Paul's life. Is there evidence of God's love in your life tonight? Let's bow our heads tonight. With our heads bowed, let's go ahead and stand tonight. As we have opportunity, let's take just a moment tonight. And let's ask the Lord, how many of you with your heads bowed and your eyes closed tonight would say, Pastor, 
I want to learn and I want to learn how to love people the way Jesus loves me. How many of you would raise your hand and say, that's what I want to do? I don't want to look at them by the way they look, maybe what they wear, maybe by the color of their hair, the tattoos, whatever it might be. I want to look past all of that. I want to love them the exact same way that Jesus loved Paul on the road to Damascus. The same way that he loved me when he met me 33 years ago. How many of you know tonight, how many of you know that God loves you? And if you know God loves you and you love God, there's only one commandment tonight, and that is that you love others the way he's loved you. There's ways to show that. Helping out in vacation Bible school. Helping out here at the church. Being a witness for the Lord. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to love others the way you've loved us. Bless the invitation tonight, Lord. Very simple thoughts. Lord, I'm thankful for a man of God that loved the brethren, the believers. He was motivated because of who these people are, that what they meant to him. And Lord, he just admonished them no matter what was going on. They needed to stand fast, be, be consistent for the Lord, be confident in the word of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As